appreciate them doing that and getting this all together. And as we grow towards that, it'll just continue to be better and better, won't it? We've been working on some other things, too, as, as we come to it. If you have your scriptures with you this morning, we're this week and next week away from, uh, Lord be willing, uh, finishing up the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. And then uh, that following week, I got something special for you. Uh, some folks from Missouri are coming out to visit. And we'll have a, a young man preaching, uh, 24-year-old Stevie, uh, if they make it and everything holds together. But I sure plan to see them that following week, and I'm looking forward to that. So in between chapters 1 and 2, we'll have just that brief uh, interim and, and let him preach for us, and then we'll be on to the great second chapter of this book. Um, this epistle to the Ephesians that Paul writes, it's, um, it's the um, treasures so rich, we've been calling it, uh, this week. And next week, we're looking at this power on high and Christ, the head of the church. And this is kind of part one of a two-part. We're going to look at authority this morning, and then next week, we'll see how that authority works in the church. But if you have your scriptures this morning, let's begin in, in uh, verse 19 and read through the end, then we'll pray and get started in this. Verse 19, chapter 1, book of Ephesians. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the workings of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come this morning, um, exalted scripture here this morning of the Lordship of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the work that you've done in him, the great power that resurrected him from the dead and the ascension on the high of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to the right hand of power and authority there in heaven at your throne where he intercedes for us even in these moments this morning. Hear our prayer and our praises as through the work of the Holy Spirit and the, and the redemption of Christ on the cross we enter into that sacred place this morning. Hear our prayers, our worship, empower your word in our hearts Father, go past, use your Holy Spirit to speak directly to the people this morning. Go past my, my inabilities and speak directly to them your truth. This is so important. It's about the lordship of your son and how all authority and all power and all rule are set under him and under his feet. He is the highest authority. He is the final authority. And he is our authority, the church. Let us be triumphant in that this day, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. This passage is uh, about Jesus being Lord of all the cosmos, creation, the known parts and the unknown parts. And he is the head of the church. The one who has authority over all is the authority of the church. Exalted passage of the Lordship of Christ. It's a height so sublime that it's hard to grasp 
with our human minds. He is the son of David, the son of God, the Lord over all of creation. He is the king of kings and Lord of lords. There is, there are no, there is no, (laughs) there are no defects in this king. He is exalted on high. Now in this passage this morning, you heard this in verse 21. Let's look at that again. He's far above all rule and authority. Excuse me, go back to verse 20. Uh, That he worked this mighty power that God had worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in heavenly places. We handled that last week. But where is that? Where is that exalted position? What does that mean? Verse 21 begins to unlock that for us. It's far, far above all rule. There's four things here. All rule, all authority, all powers, and all dominions. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. In other words, there is no sphere of authority left out that Jesus is not head of. And all these words are actually synonyms of the word authority. If I read them to you again, going back to verse 21, he's far above all rule or all rulers. Okay? All authorities, exousia in the Greek, all powers, dynamos, nobody's more powerful or they would have the authority he has. And all dominions, all kingship, all lordships, there's no other lord greater than he, so he is the lord of lord and king of kings and above every name. That means that his name is most famous. Christ's name is most known. Christ's name is known throughout all the heavens and the earth and there's no place on this planet that you could be today that they wouldn't know who Jesus is. His name is above every name. His name, his lordship, authority, and throne will be one to which every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is that king that Scripture talks about. Go to Colossians with me just a moment. We're going to see this from a bit of a different perspective. It's just two books to your right. Colossians, the first chapter, beginning in the 15th verse. Paul speaks about this preeminence of Christ, this exalted height of Christ, this authority of Christ in Colossians like he does here in Ephesians. And I think it's good to read these words again because it's in exegeting these thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities, this understanding that Christ has all authority over all that have ever been named and that will ever be named. And we got three points to go with this morning, that Christ is the highest authority that Christ is the final authority, and that Christ is our, the church's, authority. Okay? So we're rolling with the best, like the kids like to say, right? Well, maybe. I'll quit trying to be cool and just preach. Verse 15, no. Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. That means a lot for the church, beloved. That's where I want to take you this morning. We are rolling with the best. Yay? He is the image of the invisible God, verse 15. The firstborn of all creation. These exalted words of Paul. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him, and he's before all these things. So Christ is above all these things because he is mastery over creation of all these things. All these thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities exist because he brought them into existence. 
And as the creator of all these thrones and dominions and authorities and powers that exist, he has authority over them. You see that? There is no authority above the authority of our God. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. They consist because of him. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, all things, and we read this from Ephesians as well, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In other words, all these things that have been expressed that he is Lord and King over will be brought into reconciliation with God through the blood of Christ on the cross of Calvary. That's God's plan. If you go back to Ephesians 1, we'll read it there in verses 9 and 10, that he's making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Why would you think about anything else? That's what I'm here to argue about this morning. Why would you think about any other authority? Why would you place any other authority over your life in this earthly place? Because that's our great weakness, isn't it? Because we can't see God and because we get extent from him at time to time when we walk away from him, we believe he's just not there, he just doesn't care, he just has no authority over something we might be going through, so we look to some other authority. But whenever we look to another authority other than the one that we have, the highest, final, and our authority is head over the church, and beloved, I'll just remind you, then this is where we're going to end today, is that the church is not an ethereal thing, an organization that is extant, It is you. (laughs) You're the church, and he is head over you. He is your highest authority, your final authority, and your authority. (laughs) He is your authority. So Ephesians 1.21 is about authority. Who is the highest authority? Who has final and ultimate authority? Who do you finally cede authority to in your life? Where do you turn for authoritative truth? Who or what is your highest and final matter of authority in your life? Of everything, of everyone requiring something of you this day, who matters ultimately? In the bid for your time, and beloved, we have scant little time in this place. In the bid for your time and your attention, who do you give authority to in this place? Here's my simple prayer this morning. I'm going to preach. I'm just going to scratch the surface of this matter of authority this morning. It's a biblical principle. And I pray as Paul does. He prays here, doesn't he? He said he saw their love for one another and their faith in Jesus Christ. But what did he want? He wanted them to gain the wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of God so that they would understand the workings of God. Because it's in understanding the workings of God and knowing who God is that we can better live our lives in this place. So this is the part I want you to get, this little sketch this morning about biblical authority. And I pray that as Paul does, you'll be filled with this truth this morning. And then that would grow in you a way to set you free. Because it's principle, when you catch fully a hold of Jesus being the only authority in your life, it can set you free. Because all these other authorities will be gone. Now, I'm not saying to break the law. 
don't run and say your pastor said you could go 55 miles an hour in a 35 mile an hour zone and the little lights blinking at you and the cop stops you and he and you say well my pastor says you have no authority over me Mm. well you go ahead you try that (laughs) just have your video on when you do that but when you understand that Jesus is Lord of your life it'll set you free from these authorities that really have no authority over you so I want you to take great pains in understanding this truth Jesus is Lord Jesus is Lord he has all authority in heaven and on earth and it's been given to him and everyone who is or ever or will ever exist will bow one day the knee to his authority. Understand that it is to him and him alone you will have to give an account one day. Live for him and not the world and your account will be crowns and your life will be flourishing. Let me say that again. Understand that it is to him and only him you will give an account one day. But if you live for him and not the world, your account will be crowns and your life will be flourishing. That's what the scripture promises, that if you're obedient to him, that there will be crowns laid up for you in heaven and that your life here will be a life of abundance and a life of flourishing and a life you can't have by giving somebody else the authority in your life. That's why I want you to understand the biblical principle of authority and that is why I want you to be free in that understanding. But live your life for the world and not for Christ and your account will be condemnation and your life here be enslaved. Only he has authority. And the best place for us to go to work through these truths about authority is the perspective of how we view authority today. And like I said, I'm just going to skim this this morning. But I want you to, I want you to begin to grasp a hold of this. Why? Because most people do not have a biblical view of authority. And I would add most Christians do not have a biblical view of authority. Let's go back to Psalms 2. We were there a couple of weeks ago, but I want to spend a little more time there today. Psalms chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds from us. Let us cast away their cords from us, right? Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? And we note that there are all around us, and I noted this a couple weeks ago when we talked about God's power, that there's just general chaos in this world, that it's disorder of different men and leaders vying for power. We see that in Russia and Ukraine. I mean, it's right before us on our television sets every night, but it's throughout history. Ever since men have been uh, created, this tension takes place that sin causes. But the psalmist this morning is mentioning that sin, and he's asking why. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Well, it's, it's Psalms 2, two three, uh, verses 2 and 3 that give the answer to that, because the kings and the rulers of the nations set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. Do you see it there? That is, the anointed of the Lord is Christ, the one who has all authority, God's king. He's the one that God has set on Zion, his holy hill, 
the king that is exalted, as we said last week. And that's what this scripture is talking about. God has said, I've done the work through my king. He came and he died some 2,000 years ago. He shed his blood so that he could reconcile all things. I brought him up out of that grave. That's what we talked about last week, the resurrection and the power that did that. And I set him at the right hand of power and high in the heavenly places where he makes intercession. At the, that's the king setting on Zion, his holy hill. Jesus is there right at this very moment. He's above every power and above every name that's named he has the authority that's the ones that the kings and rulers set themselves against how foolish is that how much more foolish for the church to do so the king of kings and lord of lords he is the one who has all authority on heaven and earth they set themselves and they take counsel together uh, against christ and to seek to burst their bonds apart and cast away his cords from off them that is those cords and bonds are god's laws and commands those kings want to do what they want to do. But you guess what? They might do that for a time, but they don't have the what to do so. The authority to do so. Right? Can't just cast away what God has created as law. That is his character. You can't just refuse to obey his will. You can't do that. It's going to cause terrible way in your life if you do that it's going to cause the opposite of human flourishing it's going to cause condemnation and pain and and the and the right consequences of sin they hate his laws and they hate his commands and they want to be autonomous they want to be free from that because they want to do whatever their evil hearts desire and they want to reign over people right these leaders and rulers but they are lesser authorities they have no power so they can have no authority it is because they rebel against Christ and against his authority that chaos comes to the nations they rule it's not rocket science is it beloved it's much like we experience in our culture today we live in evil times because we have godless evil rulers with authority over us they speak of justice yet they do evil they call evil good and good evil they exchange bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter as Isaiah would say in chapter 5 but why do they have authority over us the problem is you cannot deny the existence of authority of Christ and have anything less than chaos. It is the untenable position of the atheist who says, I will only believe in what I can see and declare to exist only that which we can prove. It's an untenable position and it's an untenable lie. So when there are rulers amongst us, these atheists, these disbelievers of God, these people who want to cast their cords away from, from God's laws and God's commands... We suffer the consequences of that. The problem is you cannot see rational thought, but it exists. And the Bible clearly states that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. All of creation came from there. And to disconnect yourself from the truth of who God is and what he's done among us is to disconnect yourself totally from reality. That's why the nations rage. People plot in vain. And the rulers set themselves this is the fall of man, beloved. And it is what Psalms 2 is describing, ultimately, the sin of man. And the result of it in the world and what is going on in Psalms 2 is a result of the collective effects of sin that begins where? In the human heart. Let me make this very plain. Watch your toes. We have evil rulers and chaos in the world because we choose them. 
And I only say that to help you understand this thing about authority. We elect them in the United States. In fact, we're probably the prime example. We elect them because they are a reflection of man's heart and the people whom they lead. It begins with us. That is more true in our culture and in our time than anywhere ever before. We have free and fair elections for the most part in our country, and when we elect rulers that rule with lawless laws and disconnected from God's reality, it shows the condition of the people that live among us. Isaiah 1, chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, God speaks about this. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken. He said, Children have I reared and brought up, but they've rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Yeah, see, God has given us, he's given us time and time again, biblically, three spears of power, three spears of influence, three spears of authority in our lives, the family, the church, and civil government. The family, the church, and civil government, and it all begins with self-government. The family... Because kings and rulers in Psalms 2 are just a reflection of the people, you get the government you want. So the family becomes the most important, the self-rule, and what happens in the family becomes ultimately what happens in the church and in our civil governments. Like Israel when they wanted a king. You remember this story in the, in the 8th chapter of 1 Samuel? Israel wanted a king because they wanted to be like all the other nations, Right? They didn't want a king because it was expedient for them. They didn't want a king because it was the right thing to do. They wanted a king because all the other nations had a king, so they petitioned Samuel the prophet to appoint for them a king to judge us like all the other nations there in verse 5 of chapter 8 of 1 Samuel. And Samuel was much dismayed at this, and he began to pray to the Lord because he understood that if they chose a king, that it was not going to work out to their flourishing because they were choosing a king not because of the flourishing that was going on in their own hearts, but so that they could look like the sinful nations around them that God was not the people of or that that was not the people of God. So in verse 7, he says, Obey the voice of the people. The Lord says to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. And there's more examples in Scripture. Time and time again, it is the people that chose the leaders and the leaders that made the unjust rules because they were doing only what the people wanted. Even after the Lord sent Samuel to warn the people of Israel that the king would take their best sons, he would take their best horses for his chariots, he would take their best fields, he would take their best vineyards, He would take their daughters to be bakers. He would take everything that was good among them and dilute that. Even after that, they got what their hearts desired. They got a king after their own heart. You see that, beloved? Psalms 2 reads like it does. There's chaos in the nations because of the rulers, and the rulers exist because of the people. And the people are who they are because of who they give authority to, Christ or the world. Authority begins with self-government. This is what I want you to pay attention to. If you choose to make Christ your highest and final authority, all of your decisions will be based on his laws and his commandments, and you will never be enslaved to earthly authorities no matter how bad they get. Let me say that again. This is why this is so freeing. 
If you choose to make Jesus Christ your highest and final authority in your life, and it is your choice, all of your decisions will be based on his laws and his commands. You will never be enslaved to the earthly authorities. You get that? Christ sets you free. You be free indeed. It doesn't say that you won't be imprisoned. It doesn't say that you won't be persecuted. It doesn't say that you might lose your job. It doesn't say any of those things, but it says that you'll be free from the enslavement of these authorities because you'll be free in the Lord because he is the ultimate authority in your life. These three in the order establishes what scripture commands and sets forth, family, church, and civil government. And this is what will bring human flourishing in your life. It begins with the family and self-government that we raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This will teach them from the beginning the fear of the Lord. It is the beginning of wisdom, and it is the beginning of understanding who has authority in their life. Because if they don't understand it, he still has authority. And if they don't understand it and and they shirk Christ's authority, they will live a life of condemnation and suffering, even indeed enslavement. It's his authority and power. It's unable to be usurped. Two and two is always going to be four, even if you believe it not to be. The truth of God is still the truth of God, even if you don't accept it in your life. Listen to what God taught the Israelite children. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise and you shall bind them as signs on your hands and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And, and what, what, the, what the scripture is telling us here that the word of the Lord and the truth of the Lord and the, the authority that the Lord has over our lives will continually be before the children and before the people of God. That we write it on our hearts, we bind it as frontlets before our eyes, that it's on the doorpost of our home, that we talk about these things as we go along the way, and it will build in the child, it will build in the community, self-government. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, And he humbled you, and he let you hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers knew that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Listen, when we teach children today in the public sphere, we're really good at teaching them the basics, but man does not live by bread alone. If we take out the element of God in the education of children, we're going to have godless cultures, which is exactly what we see today. That's why Psalms 2 reads the way it does. It begins there. The sphere of influence of godly authority begins with self-governing in the human being. It starts with the gospel. It starts with the gospel saving you and you teaching your family and your family growing into a church, into a community around you that does what the God has commanded him to do, that sees Christ as the authority, that wants to be obedient to his commands, that sees no other authority above Christ's authority. And if the authority that is presented in the culture conflicts with the authority of Christ, then we've got a road to cross, a bridge to burn. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 
This is the same requirement, by the way, for men to lead the church. That is the next sphere of influence that is biblical, the next sphere of authority that God has given us. If you go to 1 Timothy, just go with me there quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 3. You'll see a lot of what we just saw in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Chapter 3, verse 1. What Scripture is saying is that God is looking for good men and women, right? For self-governors. That is not only what it needs to lead the family and teach the children of the family, but this is what leads the church. I believe that you took these into account whenever you were surveying who I was, and I believe that you rightly did so and that we should continue to do as we ask leaders to come into the church. Paul writes this saying, trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunk, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. I wonder why Scripture puts that there. He must manage his own household well because he's going to manage the household of God. So as this grows, you can see it grow in the authority of Jesus Christ because it is in that authority we get the civil authorities that we want. This is the same requirement for men to lead the church. The church demands that they be self-governing men and women. Oh, don't let me, don't let me go to Titus 2. It's not just about men, is it? I don't want to get in trouble with any of the women here. It requires the same. Chapter 2, Titus, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Paul's talking to Titus here, the man. Older men are to be sober, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. Verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. And they are to teach what is good, and so on and so forth, to train the younger women. You see that? God's understanding and giving of authority in our place is that it first begins with the human being in self-government, that the family would be what the family should be, that the church would be what it is, and that the civil magistrate would be what it should be. Psalms 2 is talking about evil rulers elected by a people who were all doing what was right in their own eyes, and that is why the psalmist continues. You see it there if you turn back to Psalms chapter 2, and I know I've got you moving around a lot this morning, but you better get good at using your Bible because that's the rest of your life. Right? Where else are you going to get this truth? You going to Google it? No, come on. Don't Google. Don't phone a friend. You guys have heard me say that over and over on Wednesday night. You've got the book. You've got the spirit. Read God's words. It's his direct revelation to you. He did not hide it. He did not hide this authority from you. He did not make soft what sin does in your life. He's called it out time and time again. He said it over and over. He says it's like a, like a it cries out. Wisdom cries out in the city streets. It cries out in nature. We'll have that a little bit later. Verse 4, Psalms 2 i got got to get here, Psalms 2. This is my favorite part of this psalm. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? 
kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart, let us cast off their cords from us. There it is, verse 4. He who sets in the heavens, in the heavens, laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Is God evil? Is he malevolent? Is he a ruler sitting in heaven? This evil ruler going, I'll get those sinners. No, that's not who our God is, but he laughs because of who he set on Zion, his holy hill. He sees the futility of everything we're trying to do. He who sets in the heavens laughs because God has made himself and his son known. Wisdom cries out in the city streets. All of creation testifies day after day. It utters speech. It tells truth. His voice goes throughout all the earth in Psalms 19. And it says how good of a God we have, how good of a God we serve, that he's creator over all, that he's done everything. It's not a mystery. God is not a hidden God. He is woven into the fabric of all of creation, the truth of nature. So it's obvious to those who try to subvert nature or this authority, because they suffer the consequences of their due penalty in their sin. God holds them. Have you ever sinned a sin and then paid the price of the natural consequences of that sin? It's painful stuff. And it's built into nature to help us see a good and loving God who wants to forgive us of those sins, who has authority over every, even the most simplest things. Listen, that's why the scripture holds out homosexuality as such an abomination to nature. And that's why the consequences of it are what they are. Because God wants to turn you from your sin and turn you to him. And to understand his authority and his presence in the earth. God holds them in derision because he will deliver his people and nothing will stop him. Those who deny his laws and disobey his commands will be cast down as Pharaoh is cast down in Egypt, release the children of God, and the kingdom of God continues forward even unto this day because Christ is head of the church, so God is holding them in derision. So just a couple of nights ago, um, now we got the full moon. That's why we're celebrating the feast, right? Um, but just a few nights ago, it was dark enough to where I've seen stars in South Jersey like I've never seen before. Now, where I come from in Missouri, out in the middle of the sticks and nowhere, you know, where the trees don't have many limbs on them, you look up at night and there's no city like Philadelphia to glow and, and, and remove, the, 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 remove nature from you because the glow off the city tends to lessen the glow of the lights of the sky. But just a few nights ago when I looked up, Liz and I both marveled at this, it was the brightest sky. There were stars so unbelievably clear. It was beautiful. And if you take a telescope and you peer out into that sky, what is the first thing that you realize? I'm pretty insignificant. Humanity is pretty insignificant, is it? Is it not? Is God not great? Is God not beyond all? We read in Isaiah 40. Turn there with me just momentarily. Isaiah chapter 40. Beginning at verse 10, read these words, listen. Behold, the Lord comes with his might. <clears throat> Chapter 40, verse 10. Behold the, Lord, behold, the Lord comes with his might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. 
He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom, and he will gently lead those who are with young. That is, the Lord will deliver his people just as he delivered his people from from the hands of Pharaoh in Egypt. And then it goes on to speak of the sovereignty and the power of the Lord to do that. Who has measured, uh, verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in a scale and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord and what man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult and whom has made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop in the bucket and are counted merely as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not be sufficient fuel, nor are there beasts enough for burnt offerings for this God. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. And don't forget verse 18. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness? Compare with him. Oh, we serve a God who has authority. Look at COVID. Look at our predictions about global warming. The predictions of doom that are made so confidently by these folks. Listen, ultimately you would have to say that COVID did just about what it darn well pleased, didn't it? And the weather, I think if they can tell me what the weather's going to be down the shore in three days, I'm going to listen to them a little bit more, but they can't even do that. This is why God laughs. He sits in the heavens and he laughs. You know, it's a lot like when our children were small. You remember when your children were small? I got it, Daddy. I can do it. Leave me alone. I'm going to go. And they fall flat on their face. Remember that? And we kind of get a chuckle out of that because it's a learning process that we all need. God sits in the heavens and he laughs. You see, Christ is the final arbiter with God. You see it there, Psalms 2. Let's go back and look at the end of that. Psalms chapter 2. Last verse, verse 12. Here's the offer of salvation. Let's go back to verse 10. Therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, rulers of the earth. That's what God is doing in this interim period. God is long-suffering, not wishing that any should perish, but all would come to life. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his craft is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. God has created an authority in Christ that sits in the heavens above that men can be reconciled through that will come again and judge all because he has final authority. He is the highest authority. He is the final authority. And he is the church's authority. When the scripture says head of the church, beloved, don't be disconnected from that and think in an impersonal organization. He is your authority.
because you are the church and he is your head. Don't play around with religion or sin. Listen to me, don't do that. <laughs> don't connect, disconnect yourself through your sin from the highest and final authority. Let him be that highest and final authority in your life. And I'll just remind you that it was through the miracles of Jesus. If you turn to Matthew chapter 27, just these last few verses. Matthew chapter 27. Because Jesus came to this earth, right? And he walked this earth. And he healed. And he loved people. And he took seven little or five little fish and few loaves of bread. And he fed thousands of people. And scripture says he had mercy on people. And he brought people up out of the grave. And he made the mute, the mute to speak and the deaf to hear and the blind to see. And he did that for three years. Miracle after miracle after miracle Jesus performed while he was here. There shouldn't be anybody on planet earth alive at the time in the first century of Jesus who didn't see those miracles and say, this man has all authority. This is how easy it is for religious people to make a mistake and begin to follow the other authorities and not Jesus' authority. Look at Matthew chapter 27 beginning in verse 15. This is why we need the gospel, beloved, and I'm so quickly running out of time. This is what the gospel turns around. I told the Sunday school's class this morning that the gospel saved you, that Jesus died for you, that you were a sinner before God and condemned before him, and that the only acceptable answer to God for your sins would be that I have faith in your son Jesus because you sent him to die for me. That's the gospel that saved you, but that is also the gospel that is continuing to save you, that is bringing you truth like you hear today, that is helping you to understand, and that is continuing you in an understanding that Paul is praying for, that you continue to have the revelation and wisdom of God swell up inside of you so that you can follow God's commands and his laws and make him your authority even in this place, even in the worst of times. But I warn you this morning, rightly so, I believe, as we read this passage, how easy it is for religious people to kind of sink in and just scoot along and make a bad decision. Read this. Verse 15, chapter 27. This is why we get the government we deserve, right? Because it's our choice. Now at the feast... The governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy. That word envy there, just go back to Psalms 2. It was the greed and the arborous and the jealousy in their hearts that caused the chaos. They knew out of envy that they had delivered this Jesus up. Verse 19, besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I've suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor said to them again, here's another chance, which of the two do you want me to release for you? 
And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called to Christ? And they said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. They chose exactly the one they wanted in their hearts, didn't they? You see how dangerous that sword is? The gospel changes us so that we see that Christ is Lord and has authority over all. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, Jesus says, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all that you would labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Beloved, I only remind you that if you choose to let Jesus be Lord of your life, if you choose to be obedient to his authority and follow his commands and his laws, his yoke is always easy and his burden is is always light. But if you throw in with the crowd and ask for the ruler that your heart desires, God will so endow you to that enslavement. Jesus is Lord. See him as the authority over all. Understand that it begins with you, beloved, and your self-governing and your obedience to him. And it grows from you to your family, to the church, to the civil magistrate. Gracious Heavenly Fathers, we come to a close this morning. Jesus and his authority is a common theme that runs through all the scripture. Scripture tells us that he teaches with authority, that he has all authority to judge, that even he has authority to forgive sins. All authority, Matthew 28 says, on in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Go therefore and make disciples. He has given us all authority to carry out the cause in which he is our head, the church. To him be forever blessed, forever and ever, right? He has authority over all flesh. If the church be the final thing, Father, teach us to throw all in to that authority, to that head that you've placed over us. Give us hope, Father. Teach us that Jesus is Lord each and every day. As we see the culture around us sinking deep in sin, we see the hurt, we see the families, we see the mistakes, we see evil being substituted for good. But yet, because we're obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ and his authority, we live in this place with great hope that the gospel will go forth, that the word of the Lord will continue to conquer all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The men now, Brother Adam and Brother